Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who He says He is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in Scripture and dependent on God's Spirit. Jesus lets us know His very heart in these words, Come to me all who are tired, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. As we journey towards Christmas, let's uncover the true essence of Christ's heart, that He is gentle and lowly, a servant of others, a friend of sinners, motivated by joy and willing to be with us. Please continue listening for today's message. Today's reading comes from John 13, verse 1 to 17. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, tonight we're going to continue in this Heart of Christ series. And I hope that you understand that it's our heart as a leadership team in this sermon series to lead us pastorally into what I would consider to be green pastures or besides still waters, so to speak, if we kind of remember the kind of biblical literature, this beautiful picture that as we are led and guided here towards Christmas, that we wouldn't kind of be in this imperative type mode where it's like, this is what you must do we would be in the mode of coming into a greater awareness of the wonders of who Jesus is and that we would find ourselves drawing close to Him. 
How many of you have felt at this kind of end of the year time, man, if I could just have a bit of holiday, if I could just have a bit more sun and sea and bry and swimming, yo, then my life surely, then my life surely will be rejuvenated and I will just be great within myself and the world will be as it should be. If I could just get some holiday. Anybody felt like that? So, been around a little longer than most people in this room. Here's what I've experienced. I've experienced that even though the end of the year comes with all of those desires and feels, the beginning of the year starts up and it's just a couple of days or weeks in and the weight of the world has rested straight back onto my shoulders and all of those feels were momentary and they are, are pretty fleeting, right? And, and so what we're wanting to do is we're not trying to give kind of top tips for how to have a good holiday or to add a little Jesus sprinkle to your December festive season. No, really what we believe is that we all need true rest for our souls. Every one of us is longing for a peace that speaks to the deepest anguish and turmoil and and longing of the human heart. We're longing for a rest that needs to be entered into where each of life's biggest questions of meaning and purpose and security and belonging are answered and settled for us and and where the, the search engine of our lives can be switched off, stopping it from running so hot like it so often does in overdrive. And so let me church right at the outset, as we look at the heart of Christ, declare that I believe Christ holds all the keys for the rest that we are truly longing for. He holds all the keys. See, that's why we're looking at His heart over this time. That's why we wanna come to Him and we wanna respond to Him and His invitation for us to come to Him and enter in to his rest. Last week, Ian did such a great job of kind of laying the foundation, introducing us to the heart of Christ, the only one who is truly gentle and lowly, a servant of others, a friend of sinners, motivated by joy and wonderfully willing to be with us. And that's kind of what we are talking about. And and those are the different kind of components of this, the character of Christ, this upside down nature that is radical and so often catches us off guard because it's so counterintuitive. And I wanna encourage you, if you're looking for some rich, it's pretty meaty, but very rich reading for your holiday, I wanna encourage you to go and read this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I don't read books twice, but in 2022, I read this book twice because it, it so led me to a fresh worship of, of God. And I found it so devotional and it's chunky and it's the Puritans, but it's beautiful. I wanna encourage you, if you're looking to be freshly filled with worship, maybe don't just read your whatever novel, I won't be, I won't dust the reeds. Let me park it there. But but we're being stirred by the most noble themes, the character of Christ Himself, 
This week, uh, I'm not sure if you were here at the beginning of the service, but we played it at the beginning of the service. Phil Wickham, who's written a lot of uh, songs that we sing, worship songs, he's written this song called Manger Throne. And we were playing it before the service. And this week, I kind of stumbled across it and I listened to it over and over again. And it speaks right into this, the uniqueness of this God that we serve. Listen to how he writes. He says, you could have, speaking about Christ coming, he says, you could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see, brought every tribe and nation to their knees, arriving with the host of heaven in royal robe and crown, the rulers of the earth all having to bow down. But you chose meekness over majesty, wrapped your power in humanity. You could have marched in all your glory into the heart of Rome, showed them splendor like they've never known. But what does God do? He doesn't arrive with military and angelic power. He squeezes himself into human form. He chooses meekness over majesty and wraps his power in humanity. Isn't it beautiful? This is the Jesus that we are considering freshly again tonight. Today, we're gonna carry on looking at the heart of this King. And we're gonna look at specifically how Christ in His very nature and His character is a servant of others. And it's my great hope that we will see that His heart is to serve us. See, I think there's a great danger for many Christ followers is that we think, yep, Jesus came and He served us back then. And I hope to point out the great and wonderful news that He serves us still today. We're gonna look at this in four points. Jesus wants us to understand Him. Jesus is deeply secure. Jesus redefines greatness and Jesus is still here to serve us today. And as I look over those points, again, what a privilege to preach Jesus because He is the one who holds all the keys. Maybe you're newer to our context. Maybe you're just looking in. Maybe you're still deciding what you believe about all this Christianity and Jesus stuff. Well, let me tell you with confidence from my point of view, He holds the keys and it's a privilege to consider Him again tonight. So let's start with point one. Jesus really wants us to understand Him. See, what's happening here in John 13 is Jesus has been journeying with His disciples for some time, right? And now it's kind of the night that He's gonna get betrayed and the temperature is up and the pressure is on because Jesus knows that He is gonna be betrayed and then He is going to be crucified And he really is looking around and he's looking at the kind of attitudes and the activities of his disciples and he's going, they're still not getting it. They're still not getting it. They still don't uh, kind of realise what kind of king I am. It's clear that Judas doesn't get it. He's about to betray Jesus for a small sum of money, not realising who Jesus is. It's clear that Peter doesn't get it either. He doesn't understand what Jesus is on about. He keeps cutting across Jesus and getting it wrong, right? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus gets more radical and He does something completely unexpected to all of them. 
something to make it undeniably clear what he has come to do. He serves them. He serves them by washing their feet. See, I had a personal experience of someone not getting what I was trying to do, not getting what I was up to and I was about about 20 years ago when I was trying to propose to Kate, my wife. See, what had happened is we'd been dating for a while. We broke all the year of your life team rules and fell in love and I was leading the team. Um, Anyway, we then start dating and she goes over to Taiwan to teach English for eight months. The day after she gets back, put her in a car with another couple uh, friends of ours who also kind of in that engaged season and whisk her away to the garden roots. And the next night we're staying in this beautiful place and, and, and we kind of like have all these plans, but then mother nature interrupts all my plans. And so it's storming in August in the garden roots. And yet we decide, okay, we're gonna make ulterior plans and we take her out for this lovely dinner, have a great dinner at the Heads. There was a restaurant right on the Nisna Heads there. And after that, we decide, let's go up and look at the lights. And we go up this pathway, this uh, drive up the kind of to the top where you park and then there's a pathway. And, and on purpose, as we get out the car, I say, come babe, let's run. And we it's cold and a bit miserable. And, and so we start running down this pathway and our friends purposefully hold off. But as we start coming down the pathway, there's candles all along the pathway. And Kate goes, do you think it's a cult? I was like, no, no, no. I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. And we carry on going a little bit further, maybe 50 meters down the pathway a little bit more. And we start hearing violin music. And she goes, we're definitely interrupting something. I was like, no, no, no. It's going to be fine. We eventually get to the bottom where it kind of opens up and you can kind of see over, you know, Nasna and it's beautiful, one of those lookout places. And on the left, there is a table and it's got champagne and it's got roses and it's got a whole picnic basket with meats and chocolates and strawberries and all kinds of stuff, all the picnic stuff that was supposed to be on Plet Beach where the fire and Mary Me was gonna be and we we're gonna see it from an airplane. None of that happened because of the weather. But that all of those things are there on this table and she looks over and here's this dude on a Thursday night in the middle of winter playing his violin. And she goes, we're definitely disturbing something. And she grabs me by the hand and she runs me over to kind of the balustrade and she stands there looking out, looking over her shoulder like, what are we doing in the middle? What is this guy doing? This is weird. And I'm realising she is not getting it. <laughs> She's not getting it at all. All my things that I've planned and prepared, this is a sacred moment and she's missing it. So I like, it comes into my head, I've got it. I grab her by the hand, I walk over to the table, I take a strawberry, dip it in chocolate mousse and start to feed it to her. And she goes, are you allowed to just take that? <laughs> At this point, literally, she tells me afterwards, she tells me afterwards, all she's thinking is, you better tip this guy big. <laughs> and I eventually realize the penny is just not gonna drop. See, the, real, uh, the, the, the reality was that she didn't know that I'd flown to Durban, cut all my long hair off, flown up to Durban to ask her dad's permission for a hand in marriage. She didn't know that I bought a ring. We said we were gonna choose it together, but I just went and had one made anyway, catch her off guard. So eventually, all I did, realizing this is never gonna click naturally, so I just dropped onto my knee. I said, Catherine Ann England, will you marry me? 
To which she went, what, what, what are you doing? What, what? She said it so many times that I had to go, this is the part where you say yes. And she then said, yes, yes. See, I think I can feel a little bit of what Jesus was feeling with his disciples out of that story, right? These guys had seen miracles. These guys had seen kind of the king of the universe, his own mom saying, come on, man, just listen to him. Whatever he says, do it. Changing water into wine, they were there. Seeing lame people walk, they were there. Seeing him spit into eyes, they were there. And yet they're not getting it. Jesus is moving around, doing wonderful things and, and maybe they're starting to go, yep, he's, he's God or he's the God man. But what they're definitely not getting is they're not getting what kind of king he is. And so he's got to go straight through the front door and he's got to do something radical. And, and he steps up from the table and he serves them by washing their feet. Jesus really wants them to understand. Jesus really wants them to understand that he is not the world's view of what strength and power looks like. And he spells it out for them in the lowest kind of service. He is the king who has come to serve. This is radical. This is the upside down king this is truly a different kind of king. But what we have to understand, second point, is for Jesus to be able to do this, Jesus had to be incredibly secure. And we see it in this passage, right? Jesus is deeply secure. Listen to, to verse three through five again. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, was then able to get up and go and serve them, to, to lay, uh, kind of, yeah, lay aside his outer garments and wash their feet. That word knowing is so powerful. It speaks of a deep understanding and conviction. Jesus is completely secure in his relationship with the Father. And he's completely secure that he knows he lacks nothing. He's in need of nothing. He has been given all things by the Father. And he knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. He deeply had understanding of his identity. And can I tell you tonight that it's impossible for us to follow in Jesus' footsteps of being servers of others or servants of others if we don't first follow in Jesus' footsteps in securing our identity within the Father. It's impossible for us. Think about this for a moment. Here's how much of my life works. Much of my life works like this, that I'm about project self. And I'm about project self because the truth is I need to make it happen for myself. I don't wanna fall behind the Joneses. I've gotta build my career. I've gotta be successful. I've gotta raise my kids. I've gotta give myself to all of those things so that I don't drop the ball on project self. 
And while I'm so focused on project self, it becomes very difficult for me to securely be able to serve any project other. Does that make sense? Because that's taking away from project self. And if I'm insecure about project self, then man, I don't wanna spend a cent towards anyone else. And I don't wanna be generous and I don't wanna give my time and I don't wanna be kind. Well, hopefully the world will be kind to me because I'm about project self. And what we see in Jesus is He is so secure within His identity. He is so secure about the big questions in life, where He's come from and where He's going. He's so secure within His relationship with the Father and the major matters of identity have been so fully answered for Him that He is not at all perturbed about project self. He is fully able to live in project serve other because he's completely satisfied and secure that God has him in his hands. Jesus finds all his answers in the Father. And that allows him to stand up from the table, the place of privilege and provision, and to take off his outer garments. Do you know the Greek word here is one not just of taking off his jacket, right? That, that's kind of how it's translated. But actually, there's another Greek word that could have been used for taking off his jacket, which isn't. This actually speaks of a, a removing or a stripping back of power. And it's purposefully used. We know that, right? Because it's not just that Jesus did purposefully strip back his power to serve in this moment, but it's also a picture that is kind of forwarding to Jesus' ultimate moment of stripping back his power and serving, which he is to do in the days to come on the cross. He gives himself to the most humble act of washing his disciples' dirty feet. And back then, that was, that was something that was reserved for only the lowest of the low. You know, the Jewish people, they had Jewish kind of servants and then they would also have kind of non-Jewish servants. The Jewish servants most often didn't have to wash feet at all. It was beneath them. They would bring in a non-Jewish servant to wash your feet. That's how low washing of feet kind of was kind of in the social structure. But Jesus is secure enough to step up from the table and serve them. And he's secure enough to do it despite their smallness and their insecurities. Think about Judas. Jesus is secure enough to wash the feet of the man who that night would betray him to to the, the council and who would see him being crucified. Jesus knows this. He even says it. He says, hey, not everybody's clean because there's someone who's gonna betray me. He says it, he knows it, and yet he's secure enough to still serve Judas. And he serves Judas's insecurity and smallness. Why do you think Judas was after the money? Because he didn't trust Jesus. He didn't trust that Jesus carried the very words of life. He didn't trust that Jesus could be trusted. He didn't trust when Jesus said, hey, it's better to give than to receive, that he was telling the truth. And so Judas was like, hey, I'm gonna take care of project self. And so his smallness and his insecurity leads him to go and chase the money. And yet Jesus, even in light of that, can still, he's secure enough to serve him in that space. 
Maybe you're here today and you're just, you're thinking, man, I just, I just don't think, I've got to dodge the sun. Ian told me about the sun from last week. When we think about this, let me say it this way. When we think about this, don't you see this as good news? I know for my heart and my life, I'm too, too known, I'm too quick, I'm too weak, and I find myself settling often for lesser things, lesser things that'll somehow serve project self. I know I do this. And, and maybe you're here today and you're just saying, hey, you know, Ryan, you're talking about Jesus and His love and His care for us and His willingness to serve us. Not me. You don't know what I've done. I'm too far gone. He can't serve me. He can't love me. The things I have done surely separate me from His ability to love and serve me. And to you, I wanna say, just recognise and realise who you are dealing with here. This is Jesus. This is the God-man that has so much fullness within Himself that has to overflow. It's about His nature overflowing that He comes to earth. Firstly, it overflows in creation from the Godhead. Then it overflows in redemptive purpose and He comes to earth and He squeezes Himself into human form. And then He is willing to get on His hands and knees and take off His robes of privilege and to wash the feet of those who would betray Him even to crucifixion. There is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the servant king's willingness to serve us. This is the Jesus who moves towards Saul, who's killing Christians for serving Jesus. And he moves towards Saul and he says to Saul, Saul, I love you and I have purpose for you and I wanna welcome you into my purpose. There's nothing that we can do that puts Jesus off still living out his servant-hearted nature towards us. Why would that be? Let me tell you the object of your attention if you're looking at your life saying, hey, I'm not worthy, is the wrong object of attention because it's not about how unworthy you are. It's about how willing and how loving and how overflowing He is in His very nature. No one gets separated. No one gets counted out. It's not about your performance or the depths of your sinfulness or your righteousness or anything that you have done. Jesus is so deeply secure in the fullness of everything that He enjoys with the Father and the Spirit that He is able to perfectly serve us from that place. What about Peter? I just love Peter. This this guy, he makes me feel better about my spiritual walk, right? Jesus doesn't come down too harshly on Peter. Even when Peter didn't understand what Jesus was saying, where he's getting it wrong again. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you're gonna understand it. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share in me. 
Why do we encourage people to surrender their lives to Jesus? Why do we encourage people to say yes to the washing of His righteousness upon us and then going through the waters of baptism like we saw tonight? If you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Jesus says it there directly. And then Simon Peter changes his tune and he says, Lord, not my feet only, but at my hands and my head also. Don't you love this guy? He's like 10 points for enthusiasm, two points for getting it, right? He keeps cutting across Jesus. He's the one that's like, ah, Jesus, you can't go to Jerusalem. I'll never let you die. And what has Jesus got to do? He tunes him, get behind me, Satan. This is the guy who whips out the sword and is like chopping ears or he's so enthusiastic, but he's so often kind of cutting against the grain of what Jesus is doing. He just doesn't get it. The penny hasn't dropped for Peter that this is not a military leader. This is a servant king. Makes me feel a little better about my followership. Enthusiastic, but sometimes fumbling the ball. Importantly, Jesus doesn't reject him for his lack of understanding. He's so patient and he teaches Peter into right understanding and, and, and he exemplifies kingdom life to him. He displays to him what true power and glory looks like by serving. See, Jesus is that kind with us too. Maybe you are still waiting for the penny to drop on who it is that you're dealing with exactly here tonight. Maybe you come because there's friends to come with. Maybe you kind of grown up in the Christian kind of vibe and circle. But if you're honest, maybe the penny still of understanding hasn't fully dropped. The good news is that Jesus is patient with you, is kind with you, and is willing to serve you even in your space of still needing to grow in your understanding. See, Jesus doesn't get insecure with Peter and he's not unwilling with Peter's lack of understanding. Remember, this is the Peter that will go on to deny him three times in the days to come. But this is also the Peter who will eventually come to understand. Remember, Jesus said to him, hey, you don't understand it now, but you'll understand it soon enough. This is the same Peter that stands up and delivers on, in Acts 2, the first, on, on the Pentecost, on Pentecost day, he delivers the first gospel proclamation that the world has ever heard. This Peter, because the patience of the servant king has walked with him and his eyes have been opened and the understanding that he lacks right here, he eventually gets when the penny drops. See, the servant king is willing to be patient with our lack of understanding. Which takes us to point number three with regards to what Jesus is revealing here. See, Jesus redefines greatness. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Some say Jesus was a man-man or making all these claims he was making. See, the truth is he didn't for a moment lose his mind and just start washing feet crazy like a servant. 
No, he knew exactly what he was doing. Lord and teacher, he knew exactly who he was. And it's not mentioned in in this account, right, in John's gospel, but in Luke's gospel, we know exactly what Jesus was trying to do here is the disciples are busy squabbling at this meal. They're squabbling about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus is talking about, hey, my kingdom's about to come. And they're kind of thinking military power. And they're saying, cool, they're fighting for kind of seats in the cabinet. Who's gonna be the main oak that sits at his right-hand side? All of those kinds of things, right? And Jesus says, guys, you are fully stooped in the world's view of leadership and power and glory and you're missing it completely. And he goes about redefining what true power looks like. And Jesus redefines it as service. He stoops down and he teaches them this lesson about greatness. It's clear that they're not getting it. And how crazy How crazy, these are the guys. These are the guys that in the days to come will have front row seats to the most expressive, most blatant contradiction of worldly greatness that the world has ever seen, the cross of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says it like this, Jesus is about to ascend to the heights by descending to the depths. Jesus Christ is about to pull off the greatest victory, the greatest victory the world has ever seen. And how's he gonna do it? By being captured and tortured and oppressed and murdered. Jesus' understanding of power and success is so completely upside down that there is not a single culture or ideology that can really understand or accept it. It cuts against everything we know. Jesus says the way up is down. The way to power is to serve. The way to get happiness is to not seek your own happiness, but the happiness of someone else, an inside out understanding of greatness. That's what Jesus is all about. He's redefining greatness. He redefines humility as strength and greatness as service. John Dixon is a historian and a Christian. He wrote a book on humility and he defines humility like this. He says, humility in short is to hold your power in service of others. Humility is to hold your power in service of others. He's a Christian, like I said, but a historian. And uh, he actually was commissioned to do a study on humility throughout the ages. And we're gonna watch a quick video clip around how Jesus has shaped the landscape of the world's understanding of humility. Real quick, let's watch this together. The same will be true in the business context you work in, in the church context, In the military or sporting context, we are more attracted to the great who are humble than to the great who know they're great and want us to know it too. But here is the very interesting thing. Did you know that humility has not always been regarded as beautiful? In the ancient world of Greece and Rome, the word humility actually meant servitude. It was a negative word associated with defeat. Humility before the gods and the emperors was advisable because they could kill you. But humility before an equal or lesser was regarded as ill-informed and morally suspect. In fact, 
One of the prized virtues in ancient Greece was philotimia, love of honor. To pursue your honor was a great good. So how have we now in Western culture come to prize humility and despise honor seeking? This is exactly the question our little research group at Macquarie University was exploring. And you need to understand this was an entirely secular university in a secular ancient history department. And what we found was utterly convincing. A humility revolution took place in the middle of the first century with the teacher from Nazareth who taught incredible things like whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. But we found that it probably wasn't Jesus' teaching as such that created this humility revolution because of course we have little hints of humility in the Old Testament. What we found is that it was Jesus' actual crucifixion that changed the way ancient people thought about humility and greatness. Let me explain, and I hope this is not too nerdy for you. Crucifixion in antiquity was the summum supplicium, the ultimate punishment, the lowest place in the Roman world. And so the cross of Jesus posed a massive problem to the first Christians. Does Jesus' crucifixion mean that he is not as great as we thought? Or does it mean we have to redefine greatness to fit a cross in? They opted for the latter, of course. Their reasoning, it seems, went like this. If the greatest man we have ever known willingly sacrificed his life on a cross, the innocent for the guilty, then greatness must consist in willing sacrifice, in holding power for the good of others. And we can date this precisely. Here is the first text in the history of literature to connect greatness with humility. And it does so in explicit connection with the cross. The Apostle Paul writes to the proud Roman colony of Philippi and says these amazing words, in humility, humility, consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Isn't that powerful? Jesus in this moment is giving them a little foretaste of redefining greatness. He's saying, hey, what greatness looks like in kingdom eyes is not military power, is not kind of expressing largesse. No, what greatness looks like in kingdom eyes is smallness and willingness to serve others. Isn't it powerful? I find it it's so compelling. 
And Jesus calls us. He says, hey, and if I'm doing it, your teacher, your Lord, then I wanna call you to do the same. He says, if then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's saying, hey, if you're looking for life and life to the full, it's not gonna be found in Project Self. It's actually gonna be found in the great truths of it's better to give than it is to receive. These upside down realities. And when we, like Jesus, are in relationship with the Father, then laying down our lives need not feel very costly, right? How many of you think that for a a rand billionaire, giving away one rand would, would feel pricey? Most probably not, right? Why? It's like, it's one of billions. The truth is we have a scarcity mentality when it comes to our relationship with God because we find ourselves going, oh, that felt costly to give of myself to someone else, my time and my energy and my resource. And that's because we we have this poverty mentality with regards to just how much we have in God the Father. Jesus did not have this uh, relationship with the Father that had a poverty mentality attached to it. Because it feels like so little to spend ourselves on behalf of others. When we're attached to the Father, we know we have so much in Him. That brings us to our final point for tonight, which is Jesus is still here to serve us today. See, Jesus, the gentle and lowly one, He has served us all by coming to earth. That's what Christmas is all about. And he served his disciples here, right? By washing their feet, this little foretaste of what was to come as he would serve the world by stretching his body and being crucified on a cross for us. So now let me ask you, why do we struggle today to come to Jesus in confidence and say, God, I need you now? Won't you Give me the resources of heaven in my moments of need. Why do we find ourselves going, oh, haven't been so great in my kind of Christian walk and devotional life and I wonder if if Jesus is kind of maybe a little angry with me. Why is it that we have such a a, a scarcity mentality when we come to Him? Guys, if He in an unprompted way would squeeze Himself into human form and become the servant king upon the cross, why should we ever doubt that we can run to Him in any moment, in our high moments, in our low moments, and we can say again, Jesus, come and be the servant king to my life. I need you now. That's how my walk with Christ started. It was a simple prayer on a train somewhere in the middle of America. Sounds like a Counting Crows song. I found myself so broken, so at the end of myself that I just prayed that simple prayer. Lord, if you are real, like my parents say you are, then I need you now. And love flooded into my life. And love can flood into yours too because He does not have a limit on His goodness and His love and His kindness. He is not withheld because it is His great nature to overflow towards us from His fullness. He has overflowed towards us in grace upon grace and that doesn't stop 
today. It doesn't stop the day that you become a Christian. Okay, cool, yay, Jesus in the cross, He did it for me. He was the servant king and now He's my master and so now I just eh, 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 make it happen. No, He remains the same. He is the servant king to your life even today. Here's the picture I had when I was preparing. I had this picture, you know those, those um, lanyards that we sometimes wear and it says, here to serve. If you've ever gone to conference and you've got, what does your one say there? Nick, no? Connect, uh, here to connect, no, sorry. There's some over there, they also here to pray. I'm not talking about those ones, right? I'm talking about the ones that say here to serve. Some people have got them. What happens when you're at a conference or you're in a new space and you're kind of looking around for the bathroom and then you spot someone who's got a here to serve lanyard on. Straight away, you're like, yes, that person has got the answers. And you kind of run over to them and they help you in your time of need, right? Here's the picture that I had. The picture that I had is that there are people in this room that are hurting, that are tired, that are desperate. Some are at the very end of themselves and they are looking for answers. They're looking for answers. There's those that are just completely emptied and drained and they're needing to be filled. And I felt like, man, amongst all these people moving around, Jesus was standing there in the midst of them. And guess what? He still had the sign, King of the Jews, above His head, which declares His majesty that He is the long-awaited, prophesied about one. There's nothing less than His kingship in himself. But then I saw the lanyard around his neck is here to serve. And tonight, and not just tonight, but every day of the rest of your life, if you want to engage Christ, the heart that you will engage is the heart of a servant king who finds great pleasure in laying his life down to see you truly live. Is the great message of the gospel. And I think we need to get over ourselves, right? We need to get over ourselves. We need to recognise that like Peter, we can't actually, most of us in this life, can't actually see the wood from the trees and make sense of this life. We need a teacher who can lead us and guide us and show us the way. Like Judas, our hearts are easily corrupted and brought, brought over by lesser things and we need a rescuing Saviour that can save us from ourselves. And like each of these deserting disciples, we too are dirty and in need of the one who is willing to stoop down and wash us clean. Not just once off in salvation, but every time that we run back to Him. Let me read the anchor text for the series over us again as an invitation as we close. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened and I, the servant king, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle. I have patience with the Peters amongst us. I even have love and care and concern for the Judases amongst us. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. God, I know that's 
the battle frontier of my own heart is that in moments like this where you hear the truth clearly declared, it's easy for me to give mental cerebral assent to these truths and to say, yes, I believe it. But God, I know that my heart tomorrow morning is inclined to wanna pick up Project Self again. My life is inclined to then wanna go and kind of feel this pressure to make it all work. And Father, I believe the hardest word for any of us on a spiritual journey is this word, surrender. And I wanna ask that you would bring surrender to all of us in this room tonight. Give us the gift of surrender. That we'd be able to receive your love Thank you for the work of the cross. But God, that we would not only be able to come to you once and receive salvation, but God, that we would be a people who sit at the feet of the servant king who is willing and longing and desirous of pouring his goodness and his love and his kindness and his identity and his truth and his security into us again and again and again. God, may we not just grab the Christian here to serve badge and throw it around our neck and be about kingdom activity. God, may we find ourselves sitting at the feet of the master, allowing you, the servant king, to serve us. Wow, how upside down this whole deal is, God. We don't take anything away from your glory and our reverence for you, that you are the king of the universe. God, thank you that you say come. So we choose to do that tonight.